0: I'm not real great at getting presents. It makes my hands sweaty. I worry too much, I'm not real great at it. Anniversaries, birthdays, Christmas, they just make me nervous that way. I need help. I need gift-buying counseling if you can help me. You know, even people who are good at this, skilled gift pickers, need help. So Nana tells the kids and grandkids, give me a list of the things that you want so I can work on that. And grandkids who know, know that Nana is the source. So they'll come back with a list. They'll come back with this and it will begin with this thought, if I could have whatever, I would want whatever. And there's a list. Psalm 16, I think, presents itself to us in a way that we can come up with a kind of list. And I want to answer three questions that this psalm poses to us if we will look at them this morning. We already looked at it together. Please open your Bibles to it again and just have it in front of you because I want to look at it as a whole today. The first question that pops out of Psalm 16 is this one. What do you long for? If people could make a list of the things that actually mattered to them in life, I think it would look Kind of like what David wrote about in this psalm. He writes here about the things that he has in his life because of the Lord. So use your imagination with me here for a moment. What if the people with whom you rub elbows throughout the week could have what really mattered to them? What if you could have what really matters to you? What if you could have, for instance, a beautiful inheritance? Verses 5 and 6 of Psalm 16. Paul, in Romans chapter 8, says that you and I, as children of God, have an inheritance. If we are children, it says, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. An inheritance. Many parents work to leave something for their kids and... What's the one thing, then, that most often creates problems in families after someone dies? That thing that was supposed to be a blessing. But instead, brothers and sisters get into arguments over, should we sell the car and what are we going to do with dad's Cleveland Brown memorabilia and his Millard Fillmore election pin collection? What are we going to do? Verses five and six picture something else. Look at those, the Lord is my inheritance. The Lord, my chosen portion, my cup, he holds my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. It's talking about your ownership of land and things. The Lord is the one who accumulates it. He's the sole executor of the estate. And in the end, he's the one who oversees who gets it. And David steps back and thinks about what he has as an inheritance in God. And he says, ah, indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. What if you could have a beautiful inheritance? What if you could have something of real value, something that doesn't bring out the worst in everybody else who's involved in it? I think most people would be interested in that. What if you could have that? What if you could have wise counsel? Verse 7, verse 11. Right now, in this room, you can't see it, but there is a huge cloud of information floating around you. And it's out there just as surely as particles of dust and spores and bacteria floating around. It's floating around you right now. And you can't see it, but you could capture it. All you got to do is get your information capturer, turn it on, and you can capture it. It really is literally floating around you right now. Or in your own home, you can open up a streaming device, open up your, your iPad, open up your computer, and you can do the same thing. But you know what happens? It's like fishing. When you put down a net into the water, after all, it's called the internet. When you put down a net in the water and you pull it up, what do you get? Everything, right? You get all kinds of things everything is in the net you got to catch it all most of it is okay i suppose but much of it is not good in fact much of it is downright dangerous that's what you get in the net you're at a buffet those were things they had before covid you're at a buffet and it's a two-sided thing and Just imagine with me, on one side, it labels everything that there is that you're going to eat, and on the other side, there's no labels. Same food, but no labels. So on one side, the labeled side, you can see that the labels say things like, this is pot pie like grandma makes, or meatloaf to die for, or salad that not only is good for you, but everybody likes. And then there are some labels that also say things like, three week old potato salad, <laughs> roadkill surprise, and mystery soup, and things like that. And you can see that on the label side, but on the unlabeled side, you can't. So you've got a choice. You can go down one side or the other. You can go down the side that tells you what you're putting on your plate, or you can go down the side that doesn't, that leaves you guessing. Which side are you gonna go down? Now, I suppose the labeled side is for the conservative person. The unlabeled side might have a certain bit of adventure built into it, but you know what? Death by food poisoning is an adventure I'd rather avoid. That's pretty much the experience of people who are sampling the cloud of information around us without guidance about what is safe for your consumption. What if What if you could have wise counsel? What if you could have a way in life to sort out what is useful from what is harmful? The wholesome from the empty, the true from the false. What if you could have that? I'd latch on to that. Amos chapter eight, verse 11. The Lord said, behold the days are coming declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And I look around, and I see hungry people, and I see thirsty people. And they keep drinking, but they're still dry. And they keep eating and consuming, but they're still not satisfied. And they need wise counsel for life. They need something to help them to distinguish what's wise and true and useful. What if you could have that? What if you could have unshakable security? Verses eight and nine. You know, David, who wrote this, had armies. David had horses, chariots. David had close personal bodyguard, 30 mighty men, David's secret service, But where did David get his security? Listen to what he wrote in Psalm 20. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. Amen, Scott Nelson? See, that was the motto for the car show. During the pandemic, one-fifth of U.S. households purchased guns. Nearly 60 million households made a gun purchase during the pandemic, 5% of those for the first time. And right now, yearly gun sales are running at roughly twice the level of 15 or 20 years ago. Why is that? Well, when you ask them, most of them said it was for the same thing, to protect themselves against an invasion in their home. And as of this year, about 45% of homeowners have some kind of home security system installed. Now, regardless of what you think of those things, let me ask a question. Are they 100% secure? Huh. We jumped into this thing, too. We got a guard dog What are people looking for? Yeah. yeah. Our security comes from somewhere else, too. What are people looking for? In one word, they're looking for security. In a world where crime is becoming more widespread and open, in a geopolitical situation that is just downright scary, what do people want? They want security. People want to be able to walk down the streets without the fear of being mugged. They want to be able to use their credit card and make a purchase without somebody getting a hold of the number and going out and buying a hot tub and an iPad. They want to be able to travel somewhere without being kidnapped or blown up. Am I right? Does security matter to people? Yeah. What if you could have that? What if you could have real security? What if you could have, verses 10 and 11, forever life? Think about this. Verse 10, by the way, needs a little explanation. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Sheol is a Bible word. You'll see it also in the New Testament as Hades. Sheol is a way of saying, for one thing, that there's an existence beyond this life. Sheol is the intermediate world. It's the place of souls that's in between here and forever. There's an in-between until forever begins. It's called Sheol. And that's usually not considered a good thing. So to say that someone is in Sheol in the Old Testament is a way of saying something bad has happened. Someone has died. David said God wasn't going to abandon him to Sheol in the intermediate world, he wasn't going to be left there in the intermediate world to rot. Look at verse 11. It talks about life and about being in God's presence and about pleasures forevermore. That's the contrast of being in Sheol. You know, we mentioned last week how, as David writes, it's not just David's thoughts that he's writing. And that's true here again. Whether he understood it or not, David is still writing about his expectation that one day he's going to be rescued from death. I think that for the most part, people are interested in human life, at least their own. There are people who actually eat beets and who cut back on ice cream and other crazy things in the interest of a few more years of life. I read this, 41% of higher income Americans say that they would download their brain onto a computer to live forever. Here's the good news. For many of the people who said that, there is more than enough computer space to hold their brain. A Pew Research poll found that 61% of the people in the United States believe in heaven and hell. 61% said that. Only 17% said that there's no afterlife at all. In other words, think about this, some two-thirds of the people who are around you have some interest not just in their own life now, but in life forever. They believe there is. Yesterday, once again, our church family came alongside one of our families. And we together reminded one another that Bob Anderson will not be abandoned to Sheol. Paul wrote to the followers in Corinth that when we are absent from this body, we are present with the Lord. What if you could have that? What if you could have forever life? Look at verse 11 and answer this question. What if you could have real joy? You know, just the past week, once again, somebody mentioned to me, as many others have, people seem to be losing their joy. People seem to be angry, mean. What's going on? And it's not just unique to our area, it's not unique to a certain people group, but it does seem to describe the times that we're living in. Would the average Joe be interested in fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore? This Joe would. Maybe we should begin by reminding followers of Jesus that we should be, as God's people, on the leading edge of this. Let's try it out. What is the second fruit of the Spirit? Joy. What did Paul tell the Philippians to do? Do this in the Lord always, I will say it again. Rejoice. What did James say? That when you meet trials of various kinds, count it all joy, my brothers. What does Psalm six five say? Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. The book of Jude ends with this, to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. See trend? The better we get at this church, the better we'll be at helping other people find it. Do people want it? <laughs> Just think of the number of folks that you know who have feeling happy as one of their highest core values in life I want to feel happy there's an eating disorder called pica it's not just a font you type with it's called pica and it's where a person craves and eats non-food items It's most common in children, sometimes in adults too, and it can indicate that there's a deficiency in their diet, a deficiency of iron, uh, zinc, or something that is missing, some kind of malnutrition. So even though their body would be helped by a proper diet, these people who have it eat dirt and paper and crayons and hair and paint chips and other stuff. I see a similarity with people who seem bent on who are trying to be happy and who are pursuing fun in life at any cost. What they're actually longing for is called something else. It's called joy. They're longing for something that's deeper than just external pleasure or feelings inside of them that come and go. And I wanna ask them, what if you could have that? What if they could have that? These very things A beautiful inheritance, wise counsel, unshakable security, forever life, real joy. These things are deep down the wish list of people all over the place. Psalm 16 is a song that speaks about having these things and how we can have them. Psalm 16 also, by the way, is another place of scripture that points out this question. Which group are you in? You know, the Bible continually speaks of true groups of people. Have you ever heard that? I think I said it last week. I know I said it in the disciple hour class where we're studying Isaiah because it popped up in there too. I said it there. I've said it before. Why? Because it's there over and over. It's there. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. You see, that's one group. Anyone who chases after a God other than God Almighty, that person, David writes, is going to add to his sorrows. Oh, no, wait. Do the math. What does it say? Multiply his sorrows. That's one kind of person. That's one group. Those who run after another God. The other group in this song is the person, first verse, who takes refuge in God. Preserve me, O God, for in you, I take refuge. This is the person who calls the God of Israel Lord. Look again at verse 2. Does that strike you as a little bit odd in English? It says, I will say to the Lord, you are my Lord. It's actually two different words there. If you look really carefully, the first one's in all caps. It means it's the name of God, Yahweh, Jehovah. I say to him, to Yahweh, you are my Lord. Adonai, my Lord. It's the person who calls God Lord. It's the person who delights in God's people. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Verse 3, it's the person who will have nothing to do with running after other gods. Verse 4, it's the person who sets the Lord always before him. Verse 8. One group of people have multiplied the sorrow, the other group will have pleasures forevermore. There's no middle group, by the way. There's no third group. It's almost as if God wants us to understand that because you have a choice in this. And that's the last question that I see in Psalm 16. The question that pops out should be, how can I be sure? How can I be sure I'm in the right group? You see, Psalm 16 is another one of these psalms that's a Jesus song. It's not just about David and David's life. It's about Jesus. If you could press ahead to Acts chapter 2. Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost, the day that the church began. And he says to the crowd there gathered in the temple that they had crucified Jesus. But that God had raised him from the dead. And then Peter quotes from Psalm 16. And then he says this, verse 29, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. In other words, David lies a-moldering in the grave. But he says... Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Flip ahead to chapter 13 of Acts. Paul is preaching. And Paul does the same thing as he's preaching there. He quotes from this psalm and he says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. See, Psalm 16 is bigger than David. It's about Jesus and the way that we can be sure of these things points us to Jesus. God will do his part. Amen? God has done his part. God will do his part. God raised Jesus from the dead. His body was raised before it saw corruption. Jesus didn't remain in the intermediate world. His soul was not abandoned to Sheol. That's how we can be sure And that same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, Paul says in Romans 8, if that Spirit dwells in you, then by that same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he'll give life to your mortal bodies if Christ is in you. See, you have a part in this too. God has done his part, but your part and my part goes back to question two. Remember question two? Which group are you in? What if you could have these good things from God? Would you be interested in your part in this? I think so. And it's not just about being good enough. In fact, read over this psalm again today, and you'll see that there's nothing in David's words here about earning God's favor by being good. There is nothing about doing it by your own goodness. Instead, it is about making God number one in your life. It's about loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's about taking refuge in him, calling him Lord, making his people your delight. Psalm 37, also written by David. He says, verse four, delight yourself in the Lord And he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. And he will act. Here's the question What if you could do that today? What if you could do that? And you can. You could do that. You could say those words as your own Preserve me, O God for in you i take refuge. If you've never made that commitment to him, if you've never called the lord your lord, you could do that today. Yeah, David gives a pretty good description of how some of that looks. You turn away from the false things and you turn your life toward him. You make known with your mouth this is who i believe in. This is who I follow This is who will be Lord in my life. The New Testament also tells us you're baptized into him. He promises that there he'll wash away that old person of sin and he'll raise up a new person. That old person will remain buried, but a new person will be raised up to a new life. And you could do that this morning. I hope that's a decision that we'll see someone make today. I've prayed that that will happen. And we're going to pray right now that that will happen. Would you please stand? If you're ready this morning to make Jesus Lord in your life, if you're ready to have these things secure in your life, you can do that. In just a moment, we'll sing a song. Um, That'll be the time that's open for you to come here to the front. And by the way, the front of the auditorium here is not just the place where nobody sits. It's also a place that's open and a good place to come forward and say, you know what, I'm having some struggles. I need somebody to pray with me. Or maybe just I've, I've, got, I've got some questions and I'd like to talk to somebody. Whatever. This is the place to do that. This is the right time to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words. Words that looked ahead many hundreds of years to the fulfillment that only Jesus could bring about as he was raised from the dead. Thank you, Father, for um, these pictures that not only assure us that it is your word that we look at today, but that also assure us that we can have this life of which David wrote, which you have promised for those who seek you. So, Father, today, right now, I, I just pray that There would be someone here that will will find inside now the boldness to step forward and say, I will call the Lord my Lord. Thank you for this opportunity. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.